would like to turn to 1 Samuel, if you have a Bible, page 273 in the Church Bible. Now, as I said, we've been looking at this throughout the year, bit by bit, and we've arrived this morning at 1 Samuel chapter 7. Now, I'm not going to go over previous chapters. Uh, most of you will know it. Forgive me if, if you're a stranger to these things. Um, suffice it to say, uh, the context is the Ark of the Covenant um, plays a dominant part in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Philistines came from the west coast and they attacked Israel. And Israel were losing the battle. And they thought, that they, why we've got this Ark, Covenant, special thing, um, God's presence and so on. So we take that down. And we put it in the midst, and then God will do the rest. And they were just as a superstition. Something from the magic in the box, as it were. And God left them to it. And they were defeated. Not only were they defeated, but the Ark of the Covenant was captured, <coughs> taken <coughs> back to the land of Philistine, and placed in the temple of their god, Dagon. And we love the chapter, which tells us what happened next. Because it's there in the temple, and Dagon's there, the statue, and in the morning, Dagon has fallen down, all right, and put him back up, you know, because he's a god, but he can't do much, you know, so you've got to help him up and put him back. And then next day, bang, down he goes again. And uh, they realize that this god is no god, really. But Jehovah, Yahweh, we, we, we use, the word, use the word Yahweh, because it's the literal translation of Jehovah, the Lord, in our Bibles. And so, not only do they realize that Dagon has got problems, but they've got problems as God judges the people with various plagues and so on. So they move the ark out, and uh, they move it back to Israel, send it with offerings and so on, and it's arrived in Israel. God judges the Philistines because of that, and then he judges his own people because they don't behave themselves and are not respectful uh, for the ark, which represents God's glory and so on. And so he judges his own people, and several die. So they've got the ark, and now they obviously don't know what kind to do with it. We ended last time by looking at verses 20 and 21. And the men of Beth, Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? And so they sent it up the hill away to Kerjarim. And there it stayed for at least 20 years, right? So that's where we're at from in chapter 7. It's up there at the hill, and we see now what happens next. And we're told in verse 2, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And as I reflected upon this, I said, you know, there's a story here, the principles of which are recur over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, and also in the church today. And it's very simple. There is sin, there is repentance, and there is deliverance. You think of those three things over and over again. In Israel, there was sin, and then there was repentance, and then the Lord delivered them, and that was great. And that was a time of peace, and then suddenly off it would go again. All right, there'd be sin, there'd be repentance, and there would be deliverance. 
one of the, the glories of the Bible is that some of these stories, which happened perhaps, say, 3,000 years ago in a land which is far from us, all right, and total circumstances and everything, totally different to the circumstances in which we live here in the West, here in Hailsham and District, and yet the principles are still the same. These are the things we need to learn and hear about again this morning. We need to hear about sin, we need to hear about repentance, and we need to hear about deliverance. That's how it works. That's how it is. And my concern is that we see the relevance of this for us, for me, for you. I was reflecting uh, this week upon the, the state of, of, of the country, our country, and of the world. There's some horrendous things going on in the world. Strangely, what happened then is literally taking place in Israel at the moment. Because these things happened in Gath and Gaza, all right? The Philistines came down and attacked Israel, and then there were some repercussions and so on. That's happening at the moment. This is really bang up to date, in a sense, all right? But apart from the historical or geographical location, these things apply to us. And as I reflected upon the condition of our country, I thought, you know, the problem is not the world out there. You might say, well, it's, Colin, it's getting worse. I know, and I've talked and mentioned it several times. It's getting, it seems it's getting worse and worse. That which is evil is called good. That which is good is called evil. I tire from reading the news sometimes. I, I read it on, on, on my computer. I don't have the newspaper, but I read it on my computer and various parts of the world. And almost daily, in some region, in some area, there is mention of LGBT plus minus tons. So yesterday, with looking at through the news, worldwide, there's a Canada, a woman boxer. Now, what do you think of women boxers? It's not to you, right? I know a lot of women, but anyway. But now, so she's a woman boxer. She's refused to meet this other person in a boxing match. Why? Because he's a bloke. But he identifies as a woman. And I was thinking, you know, can you blame her? A, a woman, even a boxer, going about against a bloke. Whatever he identifies, whatever he calls himself, whatever he's done to himself, he's a bloke. I'd love to be there to see her just smash him in the face, but it hurts him. But bleep, 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 bleep. Now, so that's the world. It's not getting any better. But then I remember my Bible history. I remember that back in the days of Noah, they were exceedingly wicked, and the thoughts of the intents of their heart were only evil continually. What a description, pre-flood. Some would say, well, this is what the Lord says. In the days prior to the second coming, it should be like the days of the Noah. As in the days of Noah, so shall I be in the days of the coming of the Lord. And then I think of, of Lot and the men of Sodom. And uh, I, one part of me wants to tell you exactly what happened. The other part of me says, you know, it's, it's, it's just too corrupt and bizarre and abominable to mention it in decent circles, most of which you are, of course. But if I can very briefly say, all right, here is Lot. He's in Sodom, living. 
an angel of the Lord comes to visit him. He obviously in the form of a man. He looks like a man, all right? And he comes and visits him. And he said, oh, I'll stay outside, you know. It's okay, I'll sleep on the bench. No, no, you must come inside. We don't want you outside in the night. Anyway, inside he comes. And then in the night, knock on the door. And there's this gang of men, teenage boys amongst them. And they say, uh, open the door because we've got a visitor, a male visitor, and we want to know him. That's an unfortunate translation, all right? Because it gives you, if you don't know, if you don't know these things, it appears that um, they want to say, well, welcome to the town, you know. We want to throw a party for you. And, and that's not what it's about. The word know there is what used to be called carnal knowledge. They want to gang bang rape this man. What? What? That's what it says. And you know, God strikes them with blindness and terrible things and so on. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Sodom, so shall it be in the days of the coming of man. Now, what I'm saying is this the world has never been any better. It might be appear to be worse at the moment because we have had some kind of Christian background, some kind of ethic, Christian ethic in the West. But that's long gone. That's now even been charged. We're coming up to Christmas. And uh, several years now, uh, there have been a move in organizations and local councils and so forth to change it from Christmas to um, festive season or, or a holiday, winter holiday, and all these kind of mumbly, jumbly, stupid things. Um, and it's in our, it's, com it's, it's common now. People want to enjoy Christmas, but without Christ, without really talking about it. All the parties and the celebrations and the gifts and the getting together, all, all that, but we don't want Christ. We lived in North London, Harrow, some of you may have heard it, Harrow on the Hill, famous public school. My daughter went to a sixth form college. She didn't go to a public school, but she went to a sixth form college. And the teacher said one Christmas, um, now we're thinking about having a kind of concert type thing, um, but because it's now a multicultural area, Muslims, Hindus, and all the rest of it, um, Jewish folk, of course, in North London, um, we're not going to have Christmas carols, kind of tradition, traditional Christmas carols, because we may offend those folk who are from an, another different background. My daughter said, bless her heart, if you don't have Christmas carols, I'll be offended. Wow, where did she get that from? Now, the teacher was totally surprised. As we'd say in common parlance, gobsmacked. She would never have entered her mind that not to have Christmas carol songs would be offensive to Christians because Christians don't count. Don't you see this? So what I'm saying to you is the problem is not in the world. The problem is in the church. It's us who are the problem. When you read statements from people in high ecclesiastical areas, I won't mention his name because it's Justin Welby, all right? When they say things that are so wrong, absolutely contrary to the Bible. You think, what on earth are we coming to? The problem is here. But the problem is, dear, went a bit closer than that. The problem is here. The problem is there with you and with me. 
if we were more godly, more holy, if we live closer to the Lord Jesus, if we were filled with the Spirit, it would have an effect upon the world outside. Jesus said we are salt and light to the world. I know this is a little bit of hobby horse, forgive me, but just let me breathe, very briefly mention it. People pray for revival, and we should. We should pray for revival. At special meetings to pray for revival. But I sometimes think, these folk who pray, and myself, I pray for revival, these folk who pray for revival, do they know what it means? Do they know where it starts? Revival starts in the church with the people of God. And God begins a work in them. And the first work that God begins in them is repentance and fall on their face in contrition and humbling themselves before him before their God. And then when the church is woken up and revived and set on flame, then that affects the outsiders. Don't pray, don't pray for revival if you don't want God to revive you. Okay, it's enough for an introduction, a bit of a lengthy one, but, but I want you to see all that as we come to chapter 7, all right? So chapter 7, uh, we have the reappearance, verse 3, of Samuel. Now, where has Samuel been these 20 years or whatever? We don't know, but we do know that later on it will tell us that he went from place to place on a circuit throughout Israel. You have to remember, in those days, he couldn't get on the Gatwick Express and zoom up and be in another city in 10 minutes, or whatever it takes. Everywhere he went, he walked. I doubt he had a camel or a donkey, but he walked. That's what they did. They, people walked from place to place. And if he's walking through Israel, it's going to take him a long time. And he'd stop for a month, perhaps six months in one place, then he'd move on, and he'd walk bit by bit, bit by bit. So possibly, probably, he was been wandering around teaching and preaching throughout the whole of Israel. But now he's back in the West. And this is what he says. Verse 3. And Samuel spoke unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return to the Lord with all your hearts, and put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, Prepare your heart unto the Lord and serve him only. He will, in Bible, he then will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So he calls the people of God together. He calls you together and listen, this is your problem. Your hearts have turned away. Your hearts have turned away from the Lord. Now, the sad thing is, there were two aspects to this. There was the negative, they turned away from the Lord, but they hadn't turned away to nothing. They turned away to the false gods of Ashtoreth, and later on you were told Balaam. So they not only had forsaken the Lord, but they'd gone after other gods. What did the Ten Commandments say? You shall have no other gods before me. There it is. No statues, no images, none. Me and me alone. There's a famous verse in Jeremiah. My people have committed two evils. One, they've forsaken me, the fount of living water. And the second is, they've gone to cisterns, broken cisterns that contain no water. 
How foolish is that? And here are these people. They've gone from Jehovah, Yahweh, worshiping Yahweh, him alone, and they've gone after these other gods. And these other gods, I mean, again, I hesitate to tell you. Suffice it to say that uh, there was a real mixture. Right? If you, he talks about Balaam. If you remember, Balaam was hired um, to prophesy against Israel. And every time he went to prophesy against them, he prophesied for them. God turned him upside down. And so he wasn't getting anywhere with that. And later on, there's a little verse where Israel starts going astray, and they go astray because they started marrying out, as the phrase is, with the Midianites and others of foreign nations whom God said they shouldn't. And who instituted that? Well, we find out it was Balaam. He's a clever old lad, you know, sadly, right, in the wrong way. So, you see, a direct attack on, on, on people reserve is not working. Okay, so what we'll do, we'll get some pretty little Midianite ladies, and they'll flirt with the Israelites, and let them marry them. And pretty, some very handsome young men uh, of the Midianites and so on, and they'll go after the daughters of it, and, and they're intermarriage. And bit by bit, as the intermarriage, they go after their gods. Rarely do they come after Jehovah. Sometimes happen, but rarely, because they're mostly out of their way. And they infiltrate. It's just a really bad thing. And these gods and goddesses, I'm sure of the goddesses, they had their, uh, their uh, sanctuary and their temple and their practices. And uh, again, some of you have got tender years, I know, and you're going to be really scorched this morning. But some of the things they did were abominable. Cultic prostitutes, male and female. Ralph Davis is an American commentator, brilliant commentator. He, uh, he, he's got a commentary on this. I read, 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 reread, heard him preach it on, on Zoom. And... Uh, he said, you know, what was amazing was, because there's a bit of religion, you see. You, you had your chapel and your brothel in one place. How convenient is that? <laughs> that's, give it your face on, right? You don't like it, that's what he says. So they were all drawn to this. I mean, what kind of people are these people? What kind of people are we? Oh, well, I might never get involved with that. What do you watch on TV? What do you listen to? What do you read? What do you look at? Be careful. Because we are hypocrites at heart. I am. I'm not going to tell you anymore because you'll think, oh, I am. I'm a hypocrite at heart. Self reigns. And that's the problem with us. We leave our God. We go cold towards our God. And yet we go after these other things. It's amazing the zeal we have for the things that really please us. And the zeal for God and his people and his house and the worship and very low. Enough. Return, right? Uh, unto the Lord from all your, with all your heart. It's a heart thing, right? Put away these strange gods. Prepare your heart to the Lord. Serve him only. Right, this is what you have got to do. And then he will deliver you from the Philistines. The Lord wants to bless his people. The Lord wants to bless you and me and Gordon Road and Hailsham and Eastbourne and Sussex. God, I believe, wants to bless us, but he will do it on his terms. 
Have you got that? It's on his terms. He will not say, well, you're an ungodly woman, you're an ungodly man, you're not as you should be, but it doesn't matter. I want to bless you. I want to bless you by, through your holiness and righteousness and God-honoring lives. Now, we're not talking about perfection here. We are talking about a heart that is seeking after God, who confesses sin and says, Lord, I confess I'm not doing as I should be. I'm not as I should be. I'm not what I was. Have mercy on me and deliver me and then make me useful in the kingdom. Right, so what happens next? Verse 5, and Samuel said, gather all the people to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. Now, there's a lovely thought here. Firstly, it is the responsibility of eldership or leadership to pray for the people. Right? So we, here in, this is Gordon Road, Gary and myself, we should pray for you. I pray for you by place. See what do you mean? Well, I know where you sit. You always sit in the same place. You know? You're like the old Welsh people. You always sit in the same place. My grandfather used to always, my dear, come along now. Right? So you always sit in the same place. So I know where you are, and I pray for you. Sometimes I remember your names. Um, the Lord does. It's my duty and my privilege to pray for you. That's what leaders should do. And in return, you should pray for the leaders. Grace, wisdom, patience, and all those things. So, he says, God, and I will pray for you. But there's a bigger thing in this, isn't it? There's a bigger thing here. There's someone greater than Samuel who prays for the people of God, the Lord of Jesus, the Lord of glory. And he prays for such as you and such as me. Hallelujah. You know the story, don't you? The high priest in the Old Testament he had this, this kind of breastplate thing on and there were 12 jewels there representing the 12 tribes and he would go into the presence of God with this as he were representing these people, the people of God. And the Lord Jesus has gone home to, gone home to heaven and we're told he ever lives to make intercession for all those that come to God by him. He's a heavenly high priest. He's our great prophet. He's our great king, as we'll see, God willing, in months, years to come. Um, but at the moment, think of him as the great intercessor. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he advocates on our behalf, intercedes on our behalf. He prays for us. And just as well sometimes, if we can't pray for ourselves, feel like praying, we just cast ourselves on him and say, Lord, just pray for me and sustain me. So he gathered them together, all right? And they gathered together in verse 6 and drew water and poured it before the Lord. This implies there's some kind of outpouring, some kind of offering uh, in, in a sacrificial sense. They pour it out and they acknowledge, they sin, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Now, very quickly, we'll go through some of the next verses. The, verse 7, And when the Philistines heard the children of Israel were gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. What's the matter with these gangs? I mean, I know it's 20 years, 
But how can they forget what happened to them the last time they afflicted Israel? They were slammed, bang, crashed. They've got no sense. They've got no sense. You think they say, whoa, we're not going to go there again. We remember we've still got the pains. We've still got the emeralds and all that stuff they had from the plagues and things. Right? Don't go there. Don't go near Yahweh or his people. Right? You will lose out big time. Don't mess with him. But there may be new rulers. 20 years, the old men have gone. Uh, those who have experienced these things and all the rest of it, in, as recorded in chapters 5 and 6 and so on. Um, whatever, they come again. Big mistake. You do not want to go against Yahweh when his people have repented and sought him and he's promised to deliver them. You do not want to go against God. When the Philistines heard that children of Israel were gathered, uh, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid. What's the matter with these blokes? Why are you afraid? You know what God has done to them. Why are you afraid? What's the matter with you? We forget so very quickly, don't we? God's blessings, God's goodness, and suddenly, oh, I don't know, and I'm, I'm a bit steely. Uh, there was a young lad, I think he was probably a teenager, late teens, and uh, he went to take a cheese lunch to his brothers who were in the army. And uh, he goes there, he's normally looking after sheep because that's what the lowest in the family does, and he left the sheep with somebody, and off he goes, and his dad says, now take this and find out what's going on. And, and so he goes, and in the middle of this big conflict, Israel on one side of the valley, Philistines on the other side of the valley, in the middle of this big conflict, here's this great big bloke. We could have played for Wales if we had him. And he's uh, six cubits in a span, nine foot six approximately. His name's Goliath. And he bellows over, the big Welsh voice, he bellowed over the valley, you know, come and fight me. And whoever wins, you know, um, ha, 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 ha if there'll be any doubt. Um, you can be, we'll be your people or, or, or you'll be our people. Anyone, I'll take you on. And everybody's afraid of him. And here's this lad, he's a teenager. He's not a soldier. He's a shepherd. What's the fuss going on here? How dare he? David, shh, 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 shh. I'll hear you. Are you kidding? I'll, I'll take him on. I mean... <laughs> You, you know the story so well, but bear with me for a minute, you know, right? Bear with me for a little teeny weeny minute. If as if you'd heard it for the first time, here's this lad, and he's not a soldier, he's a shepherd, and, and he says, well, I'll take him on. What? Been out in the sun, you know, as he says, he's no friend of his. Never mind, David, you go home to dad, right, and look, ask your mom to look after you. Good luck. And there he is. What? Yeah. You, you, you're not capable. Why are you, son? Let me tell you something. I was looking after the sheep the other day, and this old bear came out of the wood. Is that all right? He's an old bear. And I got out my sling. Dead. Bed. Big. Bear. Dead. And then I take, an old wolf comes out. Nasty wolf. With my sling. You could have a little bit of side effects in there. Because there's some younger people here. Off it goes. Bang! Wolf dead. I'll take you on. 
the Lord delivered me from the bay and the wolf. Oh, pity. Well, there's a bit of a difference between a bay and a wolf and a nine-foot giant. And I just love it. I know I, you, you get excited and I jump up and down. But just with me, this is worth jumping up and down about. That's my excuse. And Goliath looks at him. He just looks at him and says, am I a dog and you've sent a, a kid, an overgrown whatever, right, not? Uh, you sent me. And David says this. You come to me in the name of your God. Goes on. Wow, I know what David says. I come to you in the name of Yahweh. We know what Yahweh is. And there he is. Nine foot. Big spear. <laughs> I'd love to be there. It's one of those things you would love to be there. Oh. Oh, dear. I'm not going to fall back. He's gone. Yahweh won. Philistines So, why are they afraid? I mean, this happened before, I know that, but, but the principle is the same, right? Why were they afraid? And they said to someone, cease not to pray for us. Ask the Lord to deliver us. Same as the hand of the Philistines. And then someone offers a sacrifice, right? Sucked in lamb, offered it, burnt holy unto the Lord, and cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the Lord heard him. Why are we here this morning? Why do we believe that our sins are forgiven? Why do we believe we're on the way to heaven? Why do we believe that we are right with God? Not because of what we have done. Not because of anything that's about us. That somehow we are special in and of ourselves. No, 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 a thousand times no. But because there was someone who offered himself as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, and took away our sins. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ died on our behalf. He died as our substitute. He died in our place. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive those who are sinners by nature and choice. Forgive those who repent and believe and trust in me as their own personal senior, as their own personal savior. Father, have mercy upon them, forgive them, receive them. And the Lord heard. And the Lord heard. Heaven heard. The angels heard. And God, in his sovereign grace and mercy, has chosen to deliver all who come to Jesus as sinners and trust in him as their Savior. What a gospel. A glorious gospel. And then we'll finish on this note. And as Samuel was offering up the bird offering, he's in the process of doing this, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But, oh, we love that, don't we? But. Now, those of you who did English at school, I know it's a long time ago for some, 
will remember that this and is a key junction. It joins two things together. This and here. But is a conjunction. But it's what we call an adverse conjunction. We've learned a lot this morning here in that. Yeah. So, but is an adverse conjunction. It's this, it's not and this, it's but. It's, so it's completely opposite to what happens there. So the Philistines attack and they were victors, victorious. Philistines attack, but, but, totally contrary to what they thought, totally contrary to what everybody else thought, but God dealt with them. Probably the most famous but in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, right? We're sinners, we're dead in trespasses, sins, but God, who's rich in mercy, with great love will really love us, even when we're dead in trespasses, sins. He's given us grace and his offering. So, what happens? Well, our summer's offering, but Yahweh thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and discomforted them and they were smitten before Israel. There's something about thunder. Do you remember when you were little? I, I mean, I, I know that's hard to do. You know? Some go back many decades, centuries almost. I know that's hard. But do you remember when you were little? You didn't really understand what thunder and and if you're like me, you'd hide under the stairs. Because that was always the safest place in the house, right? Under the stairs. And the thunder would crash. And then you'd go to your physics teacher and he'd explain, you know, what thunder was and lightning. But it didn't relieve the fear when the thunder came. You still went under the stairs. The thunder, wow. God used the elements, the thunder. Possibly the lightning and possibly other things. And God dealt with them, discomforted them. Right? He sorted them out, good and proper. I love the ways that God deals with, with his enemies. I, I mustn't go too much into that, but do you remember uh, one of the attacks? And uh, it obviously was, there was rain, uh, but uh, the, the, mu uh, the mud on the fields or whatever got boggy. And they got bogged down in the mud. And they couldn't get the victory and they were beltrained. These Egyptians coming across dry land, waters aside. Oh, this is easy enough, any boys. We've got our soul, we've got our, our horses and chariots. That's a phrase if you look at Exodus 14 and around there and 12. Uh, the chariots and horses and they haven't got chariots and horses. They're all walking along with the mums and dads and kiddies and babies. They're all walking along. The Egyptians, chariots and horses, and we're the boys. And they're going through. And I guess they must have been halfway at least through. And then suddenly, God stops the wind. He sent the wind, he's been the bush. And all of a sudden, Yahweh is great. Yahweh is sovereign. Yahweh can do whatever he wants to do because he is God. Because he is God.
And finally, we're told in verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto, thus far, has the Lord helped us. Ebenezer. Lots of chapels and churches. Ebenezer. Go to Christian homes. Put a little plaque on the wall. Ebenezer. Wonderful. My daughter's got a father-in-law, a grandfather-in-law, who's called Ebenezer. Ebenezer. Great Sussex name. Ebenezer. Well, Ebenezer. Here I'll raise my Ebenezer. Hitherto, the Lord has helped us. Thank God for Ebenezer. I don't mean the bloke. Thank God for the word. Ebenezer. Ebenezer. When you have a problem tomorrow, you might have it this afternoon, you've got a problem, and something happens, and you say, oh, I'm not going through this again, am I? And you just feel so down. Shout, Ebenezer! And your husband, your wife, your children, your cat, will say, what on earth is he doing? What's he shouting Ebenezer for? Well, you can tell him if you like. Hitherto has the Lord helped me. He has helped me thus far. He'll not forsake me now. He'll continue to help me. So that next year, God willing, and the year after that, and the year after, God willing, I'll be able to say, Ebenezer. You'll be able to say, Ebenezer, until the day the Lord takes you to glory. Ebenezer. Hitherto has the Lord helped Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that the truth of it may really captivate our hearts. There's so much here. Sin, repentance, deliverance. Make that real to us. Perhaps for some in a matter of, matter of salvation. Make them see they're sinners. They need to be saved. They need to repent. They need to trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And then for others who have known this salvation, perhaps for some years, we confess our shame, we're going a bit cold, we're going a bit off. Well, Lord, bring us back to that, that trust in Jesus, that simple trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Bless your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, we're going to sing a hymn, which I trust will sum up a little of some of the things I've tried to say. So well-known little hymn, 793. Um, now, it's written, written by William Cowper, or Cooper, if you prefer. Uh, I don't know if you know much about him, but he was a manic depressive. He's the one who wrote uh, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform. Um, and I think he died like that. Uh, he had some real problems. But he wrote a lot of these hymns which are melancholic, you might say. You, 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 you know what I mean. You'll know what I mean when, I come, when, we, when we're saying this. Um, but there was a longing to recover the blessing he had known once. So he says, for a close, Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed. How sweet their memory filled. 
they have left an aching void. The world can never fill in. A prayer return, O holy dove return. Sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee moan and drove thee from my breast. The dearest idol, Ashtok, Balaam, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God. Calm and serene, my friend. So pure a light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. Amen. Sing it sincerely, I trust. Prayerfully, seven, nine, eight. Mm-hmm.